Hey guys, welcome to the Bohoning Soul Podcast. Um, this is a pre-intro to the original intro to this uh, podcast that we originally recorded. Um, this podcast is going to be with a fellow by the name of uh, Nate Benkowski. Um, he is a DNR officer. I'm going to get into that. You'll hear, you'll, he'll repeat this stuff um, uh, in, <laughs> after uh, this, this kind of clicks over again. But um, when we did first of this podcast, uh, we discussed a uh, a boyer, a gentleman by the name of uh, Chad Holm. He uh, was the owner of um, homemade traditional bows, and uh, Nate actually shoots one of his bows, and he was a good friends with him. Well, uh, we did this episode several weeks ago, and unfortunately, um, as of you know when I am re- recording this right now, which is the August thirtieth, I believe. Um, unfortunately, about a week ago, uh, Chad uh, passed away um, from a heart attack, I believe, and uh, big loss. Um, I never really knew Chad very well, uh, hardly at all. We, we'd messaged a bunch of times. Um, he'd asked me about some stuff about, you know, saddle hunting, this kind of stuff. He'd wanted me to come up. Um, he lives about two and a half hours north of me or so. And uh, he wanted me to come up uh, to a little gathering he was having of some traditional bow hunters and kind of do a saddle demo. And I told him, hey, I'm, I'm only a year into this. You know, I'm not an expert. And he said, no, come on up. You know, you're kind of ahead of the curve from where we are. And I said, well, if I can do it, um, uh, I'd, I'd love to. But uh, it turns out that with my travel schedule and uh, work schedule and that kind of stuff, it was like the only weekend I was going to be home uh, with the family. And I, I had to bow out. I said, sorry. He said, no problem. Um, this was actually about yeah last weekend actually is when this would have uh, taken place no uh, two weeks ago I'm sorry and uh, anyway uh, point of the story is I I never got to meet the guy but um, Nate was very uh, close very good friends with him and uh, you know it was uh, it's kind of a great loss obviously to not only the traditional uh, community but you know to to his family and and, and those that knew him and kind of thing And and I really wish that I had uh, uh, you know, been able to get up there and see him. Um, unfortunately, our paths never crossed. But anyway, I just wanted to send out a, um, oh, just kind of like a rest in peace kind of thing. Just some, you know, thoughts and prayers to his family. Um, I know that there is uh, going to be some sort of, uh, you know, fundraising kind of thing for his family that that's going to be in the works. I don't know all the details about it, and as soon as I do, of course, I'll, I'll I'm going to be part of it, and I'll let you guys know. But I just want to let you know we talk about Chad in this episode, and this is pre uh, his passing. So, anyway, uh, with that said, I will take you to the rest of the episode. Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the Bohoning Soul podcast. Uh, today I have a guy who is um, a conservation officer um, in the state of Minnesota. It's known as DNR, Department of Natural Resources. So he's a DNR officer, conservation officer, and um, <clears throat> he's also a traditional bow hunter. Now I met uh, Nate in a at a, a 3D archery shoot. Uh, probably in the spring or early early summer probably and he was friends with some other other people that I'm you know insta insta friends with and you know we'd met up before and it was the first time that that I'd actually uh, gotten to talk to Nate in person and uh, you know we were all shooting as a group there was uh, four four of us one two three five of us probably in a group and you know we, we just kind of all hit it off everyone was you know you know friendly and comparing notes and you know we were all shooting trad bows and things like that so it was a lot of fun and um, I didn't know until you know that day that he was a DNR officer and I thought well you know I've never had any any officer on the show before 
and I, you know, I'm sure people have, I have questions, I'm sure people have questions about what exactly do they do day to day, what do they have to deal with, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I asked if he'd be on the show, and, you know, we could talk a little bit about uh, his job, and, you know, the rest about with uh, tr- about traditional bow hunting and hunting in general. And, uh, you know, he agreed. He uh, stipulated that there's certain things that he does not want to talk about or cannot talk about just because he has to have a bit of a uh, professional separation with, with what he says, you know, uh, publicly. And that's fine. So, um, you know, we, we, we did the interview and... Um, I think, you know, we're, we're happy with, with everything that, you know, was talked about and that kind of stuff. So, you know, real interesting guy. He's, uh, he lives up, uh, well, north of me anyway, by a couple, couple few hours. And, you know, it, it's pretty interesting. These guys uh, are typically working alone. Uh, most conservation officers, they're working alone. They are in the field. Um, they obviously work with other local uh <clears throat> local law enforcement as well uh, when needed but most of the time you know they're they're patrolling you know vast amounts of area and, and covering lots of uh, uh, lots of territory and stuff you know by themselves they have to be very knowledgeable on the law and regulations and um, you know it's it, it there's there's a lot going on it sounds like a very very cool job especially for someone who likes to be outdoors and uh, live the outdoor lifestyle and, and he certainly does and uh, so we talk we talk uh, quite a bit we talk about his uh, his job how he uh, how he got into it. We talk a little bit about you know people and citations and things like that, and then we uh, shift into talk about traditional bows and uh, how he came to shooting one and, and and what he does right now and and hunting and just you know just kind of all, all kinds of stuff. So it's a pretty you know pretty informative podcast. I'm really glad I got to talk to him. I hope I get to shoot with him again. Um, <clears throat> you, you know the 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 season's winding down here right now it is as i'm recording this it is august 13th and this probably will not air for almost another three weeks to a month probably so um i this is very opportune timing because i wanted to have him on and, and publish this episode going right into um the opening of archery season in uh archery deer and small game season in the state of minnesota here so that's that's very very timely i'm glad we got to do it now um i want to thank nate for being uh being on the podcast and uh with that said here is the episode with nate benkowski there we go yay okay cool so nate welcome to the show how you doing i'm doing well thanks for having me on emma Okay, so how do I say your last name? Is it Benkowski? Yep, Benkowski. Nailed it. Last three nice guests, which are their last names. So, so all right, everybody. So we're talking to Nate Benkowski today, and uh, Nate and I met. I've only met you once. We've been friends on Instagram, but I only met you once at a local 3D shoot, and uh, it was with some other uh, local guys here. We all ended up together, and uh, you were friends with them, <clears throat> uh, namely, uh, you know, TC and and, and Christoph. And uh, Blaine Swanson, I believe, and we were all at, uh, I can't remember, is it the Rapids Rapids Archery? Is that where it was? Yeah, it was a nice, uh, that real fair weather day at Rapids Archery where oh, yeah. probably got about <laughs> three inches of rain. <laughs> Soaked to the bone, man. That was, uh, yeah. But you know what? It was okay because, I mean, everybody was in like a similar state of suck and everybody had to just kind of adapt, right? Everything from just what you were wearing to... Uh, you know how if you know how your bow was shooting like my bow I, I i swear my bow like soaked probably soaked in i don't know like a gallon of water because i was it was just terrible i don't know if you remember I, I was shooting like super like left for some reason hitting my wrist i never do that 
and uh, then I switched bows midway through, and uh, that's that seemed to be better. But um, yeah, so you know, I started following you because, um, like I said, through through some other like Instagram you know relationships and stuff, and then you shoot a traditional bow, and anybody that shoots a traditional bow, I instantly want to talk to them and you know want to geek out with them about about certain things, and um, then I actually got a chance to meet you, like we said, at that at that 3D uh, range. And I don't know, I, I just figured you'd be, you'd be a pretty cool guest. Now, um, do you want to tell everybody like what you do for a living and, and, um, kind of, kind of where you live and stuff? Yeah, I can do that. Um, yeah, that, I just wanted to touch on that, uh, that shoot we met, uh, not only kind of, you know, bonded our group together through the suck, um, with the poor weather, but it also showed us kind of our capability of our gear. And, um, I know the rain jacket that was you know, pretty fitted to me, um, when I got so soaked through, I know that the sleeves are pretty baggy and I wasn't wearing it on guard. Um, and I know I was having a lot of struggle, struggle with string slap on that. So, um, so that's, that's good to get ourselves out there in those bad situations, I think, and test our mm-hmm. gears. So, um, back to your last question here. Um, again, my name is Nate Pankowski. I'm a conservation officer at the DNR, um, with DNR enforcement division here for the state of Minnesota. My patrol area is kind of the, the Princeton area. I cover parts of Benton, Mille Lacs, I sang in Sherburne County. So, and I've been doing this for almost three years now. Okay. Yeah. Cause you're, I, I mean, you're kind of a younger guy. I mean, I, I believe I'm older than you. We don't have to say your na- age or anything like that, but uh, what, I mean, is that something you always wanted to do? Kind of get into law enforcement or, or, or be outside or, or merge the two? How did, how did you kind of end up in that, in that profession? Yeah, I, I think my just internal being um, and, and mindset has always drawn me toward law, toward law enforcement here. Um, you know, growing up, I was just that real geeky outdoor kid that took it to the extra level, you know, thinking I was going to have some kind of, you know, on or on television show like Jeff Corwin or uh, Steve <laughs> Irwin kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and those, those two, you know, my hobbies that took me outside and just kind of my um, my mentality that I was really just born with um, kind of led me down this route um, to become a, you know, a game warden of the DNR. That's, uh, I mean, it, it's a tough job, right? I mean, because I really don't know personally, and you're the first person that, you know, I don't know each other very well either, you know, but you're probably like the, the longest conversation I've had with, with any kind of DNR officer. So, and, and by the way, just for everyone listening, like you and I have talked before and there's certain things that, that you can't say, right. I mean, and, and, and that's fine. So we've, we've previously talked about this, that if I ask you something and you say, Hey, I really can't talk about that. We'll just, we'll just say, okay, skip on to the next. So it's not like that you're trying to be elusive about stuff. It's just, you have to have some sort of a bit of a professional wall of what you divulge, uh, you know, publicly kind of thing. So just, you know, going forward, if everyone's listening, like if I ask something and you're like, eh, I really can't talk about it, you know, we're, we're, we're good with that. And we're not just going to talk about, uh, you know, your job and stuff. Cause I want to get into definitely, uh, you know, hunting and, and our, our hunting plans and all that stuff going into, um, uh, going, going into this, into this season. So, um, you had mentioned that, I, I mean, what's it like being conservation? I mean, what, what's kind of like your, your daily, is there like a daily routine? I mean, is it like a, like an officer that kind of has, I don't know, do, do cops even have beats anymore? You know, like do you do patrol a certain area? Sure. Do, you, do you do certain things, you know, at the yeah, same time each day? That. Yeah. So we have a, I mean, we have, we're very similar to, you know, other, like your typical local police department, sheriff's office, but we're also very different. Um, 
And I honestly think it's uh, the best of both worlds, what, what we have. And this is truly the, the greatest job one can have here. Um, so, or, you know, we have a, we have large station areas. It's about 150, 160 in the state here. Um, we're one, one officer patrols. Um, so we're kind of responsible for the, for the calls in that area. Um, and the people within that area. Um, and like I said, mine's kind of that Zimmerman, Princeton, Foley, Malacca areas is what I cover here. Um, but we do make our own schedules. Um, and we, you know, we're just, our, we need to have that responsibility within ourselves to be passionate about our community um, and be out there when the, you know, when the needs, when the resource needs um, to be checked and protected here. Um, so it's typically, you know, a lot of work on the weekends or evenings when people are off work. Um, so oh, major holidays are really busy times for us because that's when everybody else is out, um, you know, yeah. either enjoying the resource and, you know, it's just, a, it's a, you know, it's just a nice casual conversation, how the fish are biting. Um, or, you know, it's maybe we're missing some safety things and some education piece, or maybe it's somebody that's being, being greedy and uh, taking unfair measures to uh you know beat out everyone else on the lake or in the woods that we need to right. um address so it really changes with the seasons you know in the summer it's really uh, um focused on boating patrol and you know fishing enforcement um as you kind of get into the fall here we get into the, the small game hunting the deer hunting um which is um, pretty big around my part here and in the winter um, snowmobile and ice fishing it just kind of goes with the season and um you almost get so tired of doing that same thing throughout you know the season that right before you know it it's the next season you're doing an entirely different job mm-hmm. um whether it's jumping from a boat to a four-wheeler than to a snowmobile it's constantly changing and keeping you on your toes that's uh that sounds ex- i mean that sounds really exciting it sounds like a ton of fun i know it's it's you, you know i mean everyone sees the surface of that i'm sure there is a ton of you know mundane boredom um like paperwork and and regular kind of job duties you know associated with that you know but at least you get to be i mean you're, you're outdoors you get to live your passion um but does that afford you enough time to pursue your passions or are you always just uh, you know like it, it seems like you've heard it before people that are in the archery industry let's say they don't get to hunt as often as people think they do because when it's that's that season they're you know they're they're producing things or selling things or or what have you is that is that true for you or do you actually do you get to carve out enough time for yourself i would say it's similar to people that are um, actively involved in the outdoor industry um you know and that's where bow hunting is you know, very helpful um because it's such such a longer season and um you know depending on parts of that bow season it may be um, quite a lot you know, quite a bit less busy than other times. So bow mm-hmm. hunting really affords us um, a little bit more opportunity to go in the woods and flex our schedules a little bit. Um, and um, muzzle loading is another opportunity, which um, I don't partake in now, but a lot of our other officers do just to get that later season in because that, that main rifle season is just so intense with our workload. Yeah. Yeah, so just because there's less people out in the woods in muzzleloader season, let's say, is that why that you're able to maybe kind of dial back your your hours and in crazy schedule and just kind of eke out a day here and there? Is that? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, for the most part. yeah. cool. So in 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 your job, um, 
how many like how many interactions do you think you have like let's say during hunting season right let's just say like mid-september it starts whether it's uh you know small game or or archery or whatever um i want to leave out rifle because i'm sure that's just like just crazy crazy busy and it's insane i mean the 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 people the number of people just you know exponentially are higher in the woods but like what would be like your daily interactions like with with people like i mean how many times are you are you mandated to to, like always like stop someone and talk to them and say hey what are you doing or only if there's if you're called or only if you see something suspicious how does that work yeah i mean i we always like to get those phone calls from the public when people are, you know, suspicious of something going on or um, they're concerned of something maybe their neighbor's doing or somebody they know, something mm-hmm. they heard. Um, so we really try to tie in those um, relationships with their communities so they continue to call us and give us that information because that's a really a, a key resource on, um, you know, finding things that are going wrong, especially on private property where people think they're, um, you know, not under the watch, like right, on public right. land. Uh, you know, the average day, you know, you'd be maybe, you know, taking a few calls from the public on different concerns or different animals um, that might be um, injured or they just have questions on. And, uh, you know, going around to different public areas and if there's some cars in the parking lot, you know, you just kind of have to take that, you know, you just build it through experience, whether, you know, is this person out turkey hunting? Do I want to go, you know, is it worth checking their license and, you know, maybe interrupting their hunt? Mm-hmm. or what else can I gain? Um, you know, can I check that they have a license from their name that might be on their, um, you know, it might be on their license plate. Um, or do I, do I have some already knowledge of maybe something's going on back there? Uh, maybe I back out and watch them for a while, or maybe I just go make that contact right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that can vary. I mean, there's, then you flip side, you go out onto the, you know, the lake and, you know, a nice, nice, weekend in the winter and you can you know talk to 200 people kind of thing. right so yeah. Really yeah but you yeah. you definitely through experience know the people um you know people just have different you know not we're not talking there's different stereotypes um that you can just learn from people and we're not talking about discriminatory stereotypes mm-hmm. um but just how, how people are how people act um you know is this just uh you know, can I just wave at the guy um, or should I go deeper? Um, there's a lot of things just your experience that you learn on how, how yeah. far do you want to push it? Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying, because, I mean, I'm sure you're looking for uh, just just like you said, if you see somebody just 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, like body language, uh, so, you know, does, does it all fit, you know, what they're doing, where they are yeah. kind of thing? Does it all fit? I'm sure. And I'm sure it's equally, you know, dangerous too, because you, I mean, you guys are, are alone, right? I mean, you don't have backup, you don't have partners, do you? Or I mean, or is it just pretty much you? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's just us, um, us out there. We're pretty far away from everyone else. Um, yeah. that's just unique to our profession. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll team up on with our other local officers, um, you know, every once in a while just to change things up a bit. But yeah, for the most part, we are, we are alone. But if there's an opportunity granted to, to speak to someone, um, yeah. whether positive um, or possibly negative in their case, I try to make that opportunity to talk to them, whether it's just a hello, how's it going? Uh, yeah. Or a quick license check. Um, Cause you never know where you're going to find out whether that person is doing something illegal or illicit or that person 
um, is just a key member of the community or they have some intel for you that they might just not on a call, but if the yeah. option is in front of them to speak to you that they have. Yeah, and I'm sure that we talked about with community relations, you know, being the face of, you know, enforcement kind of thing. Um, it's equally important because you're responsible for such a vast area that those people are your eyes and ears, correct? I mean, you're kind of relying on on, on people to be like, hey, I heard this gunshot in the middle of the night or, or hey, something like that. I mean, I, I imagine that that community relations is, is a big part of, of what, you, what you want to foster, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. You know, I do cover an insane amount of ground myself, but I couldn't do anything uh, without my community. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question about your job and we'll move on. What yeah. is what is the what is the number one? Uh, well, let, let's see, what's the number one infraction that you see? And what's the number one, let's say, ticket or uh, um, citation that you write, you know, because I know sometimes, you know, some 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 piece of equipment may not quite be right. You can kind of give them a warning or whatever. But so what what's the most, you know, co common uh, thing that people get wrong? Um, and what's like the number one citation that you write? Uh, well, let's see. Like I said, it's there's probably an answer for that for any season, any kind of activity. Um, but we'll we'll try to tie it into deer hunting, as that's yeah. where the podcast is going here. Um, but you know, we see a, we see a lot of violations in uh, tagging an animal, and we're going to talk about deer here. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's somebody that just honestly forgets to, you know, notch and validate their license, um, you know, before moving that deer back to the vehicle, or, you know, we do unfortunately have a lot of people that, because um, we do have party hunting in Minnesota um, for big game, where a lot of other states don't, it's a big tradition. Um, so it's something we really got to watch out for, because it's something we don't want to lose as a state, because it is such a tradition here. Um, but we do see a lot of people uh, essentially use that uh, to their benefit where um, the law doesn't hold. So whether it's... Can, can you yep. explain party hunting to people that, that aren't, or at least as far yeah, as the, the laws apply to Minnesota? The party hunting, it's kind of known as cross-tagging. It's essentially that if you have members of a group that are going out hunting um, and that if there's an open tag for other individuals in that group, um, you can essentially, if you're out and about in the field with those people, um, you know, shoot a deer for somebody else. If they're out in the field with you um, and they have an open license that hasn't been filled yet, you may take that deer yourself and use their tag on it. Okay. Well, it, it kind of, you know, it all started with, you know, deer, typically firearm deer drives where you have a big group of people. Right. Um, you might have, you know, six people and six tags. Um, and if everybody has an open tag, you know, maybe the person on the far side of a drive can shoot for the deer, just, you know, maybe the deer are running that way kind of thing. And that's where it all started. But we do hmm. see a lot of, um, games played with that where um, people can take advantage of the system. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So a guy, let's say they're doing a deer drive, right? And let's say there's like, I don't know, five people. And then you got like, let's say, let's say one shooter off in the, in the corner, but all the rest of the people that are like the pushers that they're, they're walking through the field or what have you, they all have, you know, a valid tag, but one person does the shooting. Can that person like shoot like four deer and then use the other people's like tags on those deer and those people take the deer? Is that, is that yep, how it works? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I, I can see, I can see, you know, just like with anything, any kind of rule, I can see avenues where people will kind of take advantage of, of certain, you know, uh, rules, you know, and then they can say, oh, well, I was really doing this or I was really doing that. And, you know, I guess that's where your, your BS meter has to, has to come in, you know? So do you, do you find a lot of, um, uh, equipment, um, uh, infractions as far as like, I don't know, carrying, uh, let, let's say, you know, someone's in an archery only area and they've, they've, they've got a gun and they just didn't, you know, see the sign or read the regs properly or yeah, they're I, not wearing the right amount of orange or sure. what have you, you know? You know, I don't see a lot of those specific like equipment violation as much. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the orange is definitely important, um, that we need to have, but, you know, that's kind of, Deer hunting is such a tradition in Minnesota. Those are, you know, pretty standard to um, to have down. But you know, some some things we see that are pretty common, um, especially for calls for us during the deer hunting season, would be um, essentially littering your carcass, um, which you know we need to have a proper place to dispose of our carcass. Um, but, you know, we get a lot of calls where people may dump their deer carcasses in the ditch alongside a county road. Mm. So you might think of, well, the animals are going to eat it or deer get hit on the highway all the time and fall in the ditch. But, you know, if, if people see that animal, um, you know, scun up, um, the meat taken off of it and obviously processed, that gives, you know, to even to hunters, that gives a bad view um to us fellow hunters you know that we have people that are against hunting we have people that are indifferent the vast amount of people are indifferent about it um and those are the people we'd like to sway toward the pro hunting side Mm -hmm. Um, but if we're you know throwing our our meat into the ditch where everybody can see it dogs can get into it um that's a very bad view on us hunters um and, and, and the other and the other common violation we get a lot of calls about would be trespassing Oh, right. I'm sure. Okay. Yep. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> taking a step back to the, um, to the carcass thing. Now in, in Minnesota, you have to remove the entire carcass from the field, right? Um, minus the, minus the, you know, the guts and everything. So you can field dress it, but everything has to come out. And this question actually came up uh, and I actually called the DNR about this cause I was wondering, you know, um, cause I, I hunt, mostly public land there's a couple of private spots i hunt during rifle season but um th- this this idea of packing out a deer boning out a deer and packing it out is pretty has been pretty popular now in you know we, we see it on all, all different shows and um you know typically out west but a lot of people are doing it with their deer too yep. and the so the the answer i got and i want you to verify this if, if true or not is you, you you still have to take everything out what the when i called the dnr office i said okay well I, I'd like, I, if I'm going in like a mile or two deep or whatever, um, I'm not dragging that deer. It's, you know, can I bone it out and take it out? And the answer I got was, yes, you can, but you got to go back and get the rest of the carcass. Is that, is that kind of the way, um, so you I, see it? Uh, yeah, so I will, um, just kind of carefully say this cause you no, know, we're all individuals. Um, and we all look at things a little bit different and our areas are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my area is different than the Arrowhead, um, and my area is also different than the Metro. Um, so I'm not going to speak for other areas. Um, mm-hmm. obviously there's, you know, laws that are just overall, um, 
commonplace, but we all have our different ways of looking at things. Yeah. Um, essentially, the, the most important, what I'll touch on more um, on this topic is the, the thing we need to do um, is registering that deer if we are a quarter. So yes, the, I should have I should have mentioned that. Yes, that, that's a caveat. The the lady on the phone told me that yes, as, as long as and we can call in and register online and all that stuff. Yep. As long as you have it registered and tagged, um, and, and then and then I then she said that then it, then it's fine. Then but you still have yep. to go back and you can't leave the carcass in there. So yeah, I should I should have mentioned yep. that. But well, my question was, yep. go ahead, no, go ahead, finish. Yep. What we what we can't do is uh, essentially cut that head off that carcass uh, without registering it. Um, and then you ask, you know, why is that? Um, because if we go to, you know, we go to a deer camp and there's you know, bodies of deer and then there's buck heads, you know, there's a lot of games that can be played of who actually got this buck, um, who got these deer. Um, so before it's registered and it's in your name as, you know, a adult male deer taking on this date and time, um, we require you to do that before removing that head. So if you do have cell service in the field, uh, and I'd still urge everybody to contact their local CO on this question. Um, I think we're mainly talking about public land here. Mm-hmm. Um, is to you know contact your local CO, kind of depending on your area. He might give you advice one way or another. Um, but before quartering that animal um, completely, I mean, you can still have the head attached to one quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but before like your stereotyp, you know, your typical quartering. Um, you just need to have that registered, which you can do online if if you have cell service. Right, right. And then you get the which is which is also equally important to at least have like I mean obviously you're gonna have to have your tag with you, but have you know a pen that that can in write in all kind of conditions let's say yep. on that tag because you know you call it in it's really simple to do if 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 anybody listening hasn't done it you know you you call it in and it, it walks you through like a little checklist what area was it a antlerless or was it antler you know whatever blah 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 and then it gives you a confirmation number right just just like yep. ordering tickets or plane tickets or whatever exactly. gives you a confirmation number and you write it down on the tag and that's your confirmation number and then it's officially legally registered registered in and then yes you are allowed to do you know whatever you want not whatever you want but um take it out of the field but yes you still have to abide by the fact that you can't leave a carcass uh carcass behind um now before we were recording you and i were talking just a little bit about cwd and i know you said you're not a cwd expert but the question comes up like what if if why can we not leave well, okay, I'm not kind of answering my question because it's one thing if it's miles deep. But I was going to say, why can't you leave the carcass like in the woods? Let's say I'm a mile deep or whatever. I take all the meat off of it. I get all the usable meat and all that stuff. Um, you know, head, if you're into that kind of stuff, I'm really not. But um, you, you take it out. The concerns about CWD, they're like, no, no, you got to get it out of the field. Well, why would I want to move that carcass out of the field and take it somewhere else where it could potentially contaminate somewhere else is it the concern that someone's you're not a mile deep but you're like a hundred feet deep 100 feet deep and people driving down the road can see that carcass is that is that why well i'm just gonna how i'm gonna answer this is that a lot of these um game and fish rules are written for the mass of people yeah and what the mass is what how you are hunting um and how i hunt and how my friends hunt which is kind of taking into and pretty extreme measures because we're so passionate about it um, is not how the majority of people hunt and it's not how the majority of people might not think 
Uh, so right, a lot of these right. laws are written to um, make it, you know, for the, you know, the guy that goes out every year and his only, you know, only shot he takes that year is that, you know, shot at that deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only time he hunts is that, you know, opening day maybe. So uh, that's how I'm just going to answer that. And um, obviously CWD is a concern with, with travel. Um, and that's why they're, you know, in those areas that they need to be checked out. Um, it's changing a little bit this year with the with the pandemic um, and exposures, but hopefully it's uh, you know it's something we can contain the spread of. I don't know if it's something we can stop, but at least contain the spread of and um, you know not have it spread statewide. You know, it's funny being being a hunter and watching this COVID thing. There's a lot of um, similarities. You know, a lot a lot of um, parallel paths of things that people are saying you know we can hope to contain it we're trying to stop it and other people are like no it's just it's going to spread and it, it's there's there's a, you know there's not much you can do about it it's going to happen the, the parallels are 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 kind of funny but not funny you know but um you you made a point about the new rules this year and we can just talk about not necessarily just about cwd rules but any like as far as minnesota goes any like glaring new rules that are like like different than than it has been in the past i mean of course everybody should you know get the um uh, get the regulations book and in the beginning of the book i think it's like the first chapter literally it's all like the new the new regulations new for this year new for the season or whatever but yep, anything pop up touch that, on yeah go ahead yeah yeah i was just gonna if you didn't you beat me to it i was just gonna say if you when you look in that hunting regulation book um which are you know free to purchase or free to acquire um it's usually the page you know three or four that has all those new laws for the year um so you can see if anything has you know gone through legislation um and changed there's not anything real really glaring this year um for deer hunting you know there's some changes um with different counties on whether you can use um, whether you can feed deer recreationally or whether it's completely closed to uh, recreational feeding and deer attractants um like you know, urine products, for example, which is all CWD related. Right. Um, there's been an expansion of, I guess the, the biggest thing probably for deer hunting is there's been an expansion of uh, early antler season in the state. Uh, I know some areas pretty close to me um, toward like Morrison County, Little Falls area. Um, and it has this early antler season now, which coincides with the youth season, which was new for last year, which is a really cool addition. Um, Kind of that mid-October, uh, mid-October range last year um, was a across the state youth season where, um, you know, you could take your 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 kid out and you know, use a shotgun or rifle depending on where you are and um, and harvest some deer. But now there's um, a, quite a big expansion in that early antler season, which allows you up to you know five antlerless deer um, in addition, not you know in addition to your bag limit to the state. Okay. And we're talking firearm, right? This is this is a yep. firearm early on. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So it's gonna be like that October fifteenth. I think it starts for a few days. Over, right over the firearm uh, use season. Oh really? I, I don't have the new regulations book, so I don't have the new maps or anything like that. So it'd be interesting to see where where those are. Um, and you said it's not just limited to youth. This is just a, a separate antlerless Correct. season. Yep. Forever. It just coincides with that youth season. So oh, the youth okay. season, you'd be, you know, you're. If the the child would the youth would be allowed to you know harvest uh, antler deer, mm-hmm. um, but uh, this is you know for the adults this is an early antlerless only season where you get you know just to just to take down that antlerless 
population a little bit. Right, right. In some areas with very high deer concentration. Yeah, okay. Which is another CWD proactive measure. Right, just in an effort to keep numbers down in general or uh, to keep... um, what I guess when people say numbers down, we should we should expand on a little bit. It's it's you you can look at you can look at like overall quote unquote deer numbers across the state, but I think many people hopefully realize that there are congregations like small areas pockets of you know throughout usually like in the metro area, but in other you know other areas too where the 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 per cap was it per capita was it would that be right or per, the number of deer per square mile let's say yeah. is way way higher. So the instances where they interact, rub noses, uh, share you know fluids that kind of stuff is a lot higher than uh, they would be, let's say, uh, you know, in left to more natural devices if they're not in, let's say, suburban areas and that kind of stuff. Okay, because obviously humans have a have have a um, kind of uh, playing factor, I guess, in where and how deer congregate. Right. Because, I mean, you obviously right. can't hunt in most neighborhoods and, hey, on my way home, you know, if it's if it's later, if, you know, if, especially like in a winter when it's when it's dark when I leave and dark when I come home, you know, it, it's all I can do to not hit deer. I can't see any deer during the regular season. But when I'm on my drive home, I got to be careful to not take out three or four. You know, there's no easier and better place for deer to live than in suburbia. Oh, yeah. Uh, living Absolutely. Around parks, you know, living where they aren't being hunted and there's a, just a plethora of food from either, you know, the remaining trees there or, you know, a lot of times gardens. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. there's a lack of, and lack of predators in those areas. Right. Right. Now, um, hang on, I got an air compressor that just fired off back here. I'm going to shut this door. I'm, I'm at work at lunch over here, by the way. So if you can hear that in the background, it's a big old air compressor. All right. So, um, you mentioned something about something was different about the CWD. Uh, it was a testing or registering for this year. How's, how's yeah, it because of COVID? Or? Just, yeah, just with the COVID that those, especially in the Southeast, those mandatory test sites, um, at least to my knowledge here, are looking like they're just going to be a voluntary thing, um, which I still encourage um, people to go do that because mm-hmm. um, it's important data um, in stopping the, in the spread of that. Um, but it's just going to be harder for for the state to have people down there um, at yeah. those testing centers. So if you're in a CWD zone, right, and you shoot a deer in there, what's 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 the process of of doing that? Because like I said, I was trying to have a CWD, a Minnesota CWD expert on the show, and it just didn't work out, or schedules didn't work out. And I think it's new enough for people who don't live in those zones, but those zones are kind of encroaching on where they live that they might want to do it. So is it, is it, is it free to do? Do you have to physically, do you have to physically like take some sort of like tissue sample and send it in? Do you bring your deer somewhere? How does that work? Uh, and I, I'm not an expert. There's so much in my area that's unique. Um, it's hard <laughs> for me to know every unique area mm-hmm. uh, in the state and what they're um, you know their protocols are but there's different options and it's mainly depending on whether you're transporting that out of that cwd or not um okay. so it's, it's laid out in the hunting regulation book essentially um is this staying in your you know in your deer unit mm-hmm. um where it, and it's been classified as a cwd zone watch zone um or are you transporting you know it's say a deer from crowing county down back to ramsey county or or Hennepin County. Right. Um, 
so there's different protocol there you know there's there's different stations where you um or wildlife offices where you can take those deer in and that they typically will take your sample um there's some other uh, other options to do um when you know the certain hours that those stations aren't staffed um but this year's gonna be a little bit different um there's new updates in the hunting regulation to address that on page 68 um just with the with the the coronavirus here it's gonna be a little different this year i'm guessing well you're cut out for a little bit I think. oh oh sorry i said and the re so the regulations are are out already the new regulation book is out for yep. this okay they typically come out right around the first of august Okay. All right. I'm going to have to stop by my local sporting goods store here and, uh, and and pick one of those up. All right. So I want to do a hard pivot now. Let's we, we, we're, we're done with the uh, we're done with the business side of it all. So when we met, you were shooting a beautiful longbow. It is a home uh, homemade uh, like homemade traditional bows, right? Um, Chad home. And it's the Osprey, I believe. Correct. Yeah. Is that what you got? Yep. That is a gorgeous, that is a gorgeous bow. So what? Yeah, let, really let, let's talk about your your kind of um, entry into archery. Have you you know how how do you got the traditional archery? And I don't know. Let's let's just talk about that that side of that passion of your life. Yeah. So traditional archery is one of my big passions here. Um, and like I said, I am currently shooting a, a homemade Osprey that Chad Holm, a good friend of mine, out of the Brainerd area, um, made for me a few years ago here um my my past getting into it um i always was a fan of just you know as a kid making small, small simple bows in my yard um and kind of shooting them or i had some i believe they'd be fiberglass you know kits where you buy at you know your local walmart or sorting goods stores i come with a few arrows um you know simple fiberglass compounds um for kids here and that just kind of developed into um now I, I didn't come around up in a hunting family so i didn't have that to look forward to every fall or get ready for um, but i was very interested in archery and i'm very very fond of archery um and i, I did get a that's probably 13 or 14 years old i did get a, a kind of inexpensive grow into um you know real adult compound bow um but that was just the way I like to shoot. I was, you know, interested in hunting small game because I knew nothing about hunting big game from, uh, you know, not having any family members in my immediate family that did it. Um, but I had small game running around our rural property, and that's what, you know, I thought I'd like to hunt. So, and I liked, you know, practicing on, you know, taking a, a foam soccer ball and rolling it down the yard and um, trying to shoot it on the move like I'd shoot a, you know, I had a rabbit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another small game. So <laughs> I learned very fast that, Kind of line up a peep sight on a site and having your release um, on the string doesn't really go well with that kind of shooting so i ended up stripping all that stuff off and at that point i said let's try a simpler approach to this so that's when i bought a, a, a bear longbow and which i had for quite a long time and hunted with a little bit um and then uh yeah like i said i got i met chad Holm and um, liked his products and and build me a, a really nice longbow here. How how did you guys meet? Uh, we just met um, kind of online, like we all seem to be these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and then kind of 
where we do a lot of our training. He lives pretty close by, and we ended up just getting together a few times and, you know, taking a look at his shop and picking up some woods, and it all kind of went down from there. That's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, he, he and I have been talking, um, you know, just messaging back and forth and stuff, and uh, he, he wanted me to actually come up this weekend. I think he's, uh, he's hosting, like, a like a saddle hunting kind of how to kind of thing or something like that at, at, at his place. And I, and he said, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're around, would you come up and do like a demo? And, and I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come up this weekend. I really wish I could do that. Um, cause I'm about like two and a half hours South of, of Brady, yeah. you know, I'm like Southwest of the cities and stuff. So, but, um, no, yeah. And he and I have been talking, he's got some beautiful stuff. I mean, like I said, and I saw your, I saw your bow in person and I mean, whisper quiet shoots like a dream. And you know, there's, there's, nobody that says anything anything bad about them so did you um have, have you always gone down i guess just the the longbow path or, or i mean it seems like you said you went from the the what did you have a montana before then is that i did have a bear montana yeah, yeah. what'd you think of that by the way uh i like it i shot really well with it you know i i've never much of a target shooter mm-hmm. um i was always trying to adapt into kind of a hunting situation <clears throat> yeah um, but you know i just do a lot of most of my shooting is grabbing you know a few cedar arrows i made with judos on it and just walking the property and shooting you know goldenrod socks um mm-hmm. or you know anything that caught my eye like my property i grew up was um kind of prairie grass like um so any kind of small um stick or you know sampling that caught my eye and fire right. judo had that kind of thing but no i've always liked the longbow um it's just kind of you know, people I saw in movies growing up, that's a really drew my attention to it. Um, and I, I can see myself just sticking to a longbow throughout my, my archery career. It's kind of the, the model that catches my eye. Have you, uh, have you had a lot of success with uh, traditional equipment? I mean, are you able to harvest you know, stuff every year? Or are you, are you like well, me? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm still fairly new to hunting. Like I said, I didn't uh, grow up in a hunting family and kind of got yeah. into it um while i was in college um so i haven't spent too many seasons here doing it um but i have been i was able to go out to to south dakota uh last fall with chad home and a few other local guys and harvest my first big game animal which is a a doe antelope out there with the longbow oh sweet Um, doing some decoy decoy work out there in the plains and then i was able to um, I was a deer last last December here in kind of late season um, with that, and then I grinded out this turkey season, which um, I love turkey hunting and just love the calling aspect and the fast action. Um, I grinded out uh, 13 days this year, um, 13, 13 hunts, and I was able to get an arrow into a pretty nice tom. So. Yeah, I saw I saw a picture of that. That was uh that that was that was pretty sweet. Um, do, do you want to talk about your your uh, your antelope one? Um, do you want you want to tell tell that kind of story? I'd, I'd really like to hear it because a I'm fascinated with well not fast but I mean I really want to go antelope hunting, and anybody that does it you know you said decoying I don't know if that's you, you know you were in a blind and decoyed it in or you're like spot and stock kind of thing. Either way, um, I really really want to do that. I, I'd really like to try that. So. Can you can you kind of walk me through, you know, that hunt? Yeah, antelope hunting is a blast, and it's something I did look forward to, you know, returning to um, every couple of years here and doing. I just I love that 
open country out there. Um, but uh, yeah, essentially this is a property. Some friends of mine have been hunting for quite a long time, so they, they know the owners of this ranch. And um, it's not necessarily a guided hunt. Uh, but there, there's an individual that, that knows the property well and kind of gets the blinds together and the blinds set out. Yeah. Um, with the decoys, but it's uh, you kind of just get dropped off and you're out there for um, from dark to dark. So it's something you really gotta consider, and it's hot. But uh, you know the way we did it on the property, we did it, and how it's kind of worked. Um, they didn't want any association with humans in the blinds. Um, so you walk in in the dark, and then you're not, you know, they don't want you leaving until dark. Um, those animals, those animals, not to see you. But we were in blinds. Um, you know, this this ranch had a mixture of um, hay ground, which was green, you know, green lush grass, and the rest of it was just um pretty open pasture that was you know grazed close to the ground from the cattle um it was very dry um so those animals kind of naturally came toward those irrigated hay fields as it was just you know a little bit more nutritious vegetation um and that's where we had our blinds at and we we're using um some modified deer decoys that are painted as animals to, to draw those closer and so, so you're spotting stalking with this thing, right? I mean, you're, you're I mean, you got the decoy in front of you, kind of sneak. No, sneak we were in, in blinds. Oh, you were in blinds. Okay, yeah, okay, we so were in blinds. okay, yeah. So you get in before. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yep. dark, dark to dark. Okay, how 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 close are they coming? Well, we we didn't hit the the rut perfectly, just the the time frame we were able to get out there. So we were pretty late on the rut, um, which was kind of challenging. It was actually a wetter year last year than the you know, in the past, so. Um, they weren't as concentrated in really smaller hay fields as typical, um, but they're they're so easy to see out there on those open plains with all their white, um, and it can be kind of frustrating. But you can see those things all over the place, mm-hmm. um, and you're just watching them all day, and you're kind of you know stuck. And I'd like to do some spot and stock opportunities on them. The brain kind of um, works for that in the future. But, uh, you know, and then you might have them in the field for a little bit. And there's a lot of, you know, we're at kind of end stages of the rut. And just like elk, those bucks have a harem. Um, and there's a lot of times where they might, you know, a group of eight does might be kind of grazing in to the hayfield and see the decoy. And there might be a small buck with that harem. And then all of a sudden a medium size or a large you know, buck antelope runs and chases all the does away, oh, you know, goes away, and takes that harem from that small buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's very common to happen. You know, three or four times a day to the same group of does. <laughs> um, you know, and we had, you know, the the day I harvested mine, um, all morning. My it was it was pretty windy, and the the doe group had bedded down uh, in the field, and you could see them, and they're probably two hundred yards away or a little bit less. Um, they just sat there all day, and you're just kind of waiting them out. And um, same thing, I, you know, a buck chased all the does off, except for this uh, this doe that had a leg injury. Um, it didn't look like it was from a previous shot. Um, you know, there wasn't any wound or anything that was visible, but but it was really limping on one leg. And uh, it finally looked over and saw my decoy. And uh, after it was left all alone, and all the all the other does left in a hurry. Um, and it couldn't keep up. So it saw my doe and thought it could, you know, better survive with a friend. So it limped over to me and then bedded on the back side of a round bale about 50 yards away from me, uh, facing the other direction. 
and the wind was in my favor for the most part. Um, so I actually took my boots off, exited the blind, and I was going to, you know, hopefully creep up and stock up to this round bale and take a three-yard shot at this, you know, bedded antelope. And I wanted to take that one because obviously it had an injury. Um, but uh, the wind switched and it kind of kind of limped away and um, used some of its effort to run away. And then I kind of came back and then had another group of does move in and uh, I had two does at about 11 yards and I, I picked the, the larger of the two and put an arrow through it. What what distance is this? Uh, about 11, 12 yards. Oh, cool, cool, so awesome. Nice and close. But I, you know, I had I had a what I'd consider a world class buck at less than a yard from the blind, uh, but never came into the, you know my shooting window. Yeah. So frustrating, but once that you know makes me want to go back. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, for some reason, I, I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I'd love to kill a deer um, with a traditional bow. I'd love to do, you know, but I, I want to go. It's not even it's not even like a, an out west thing for me because some people have like that out west adventure. You know, it's cool and all. Don't get me wrong. I want to do it. But it's just I want to hunt antelope. And I don't know why, but I just I want to hunt antelope. So Anytime I can hear an antelope story, uh, like that kind of, I, I kind of pay attention. So, um, so you said that's kind of like a every couple of year thing that you're going to end up doing or. Yeah, I definitely like to that, you know, I've, I've never been out to the mountains or anything, but, um, man, those overlook kind of flyover areas, people call them, or it's just, mm-hmm. you know, open plains. Um, and you know, the creeks are just filled with big cottonwood trees. That's really a cool habitat. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, so what's um actually we can just talk about your equipment what, what did you carry out there did you have that osprey out there and what, what's kind of that your... osprey yeah and what, yeah, what's your, what's your setup um so you know camel wasn't really concerned too much because we're in the blinds so just anything um breathable because there's a lack of airflow and it's you know even in september it's 90 some degrees on some of those days so um so camel wasn't really concerned but you know i had that osprey longbow um which you know, 62 inches. Um, so I, we, one of the, some of the blinds we had were like a double bow recurve model and a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used one of those blinds to get enough clearance, um, with a small stool there. But, um, at that time I was using an Eastern axis traditional arrow with a, with a cutthroat on the front. Okay. Is that what you're running now too, or? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of just playing with some things here. Um, my last batch of arrows here, um are just the normal uh eastern axis which is tuned out better on this uh on this batch um now i'm rock trying out a, a three inch four fletch on those um I got an ethic system up front right now and i am using some of the day six evo xls and Ooh. some cutthroats as well damn nice that's uh <laughs> That's, uh, that sounds like a high zoot setup. You know, I really look at those, um, you know, like iron wills and, you know, day sixes and that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's pretty pricey, you know, but God, I mean, they, they're sharp, right? I mean, they're known to stay sharp. That's, that's the, that's the key as it's kind of going through the animal too. Um, I've been looking at the cutthroats too. I've, I've got, um, I don't know. I, I kind of want to try and shoot them all. I mean, I've got Zwickies, I've got tough heads, you know, and, and like I said, those, um, 
Iron Will's, I, I guess, kind of catch my eye because everyone says just how ridiculously sharp those things are. Um, but man, not, you know, hundred bucks for like, or, or more or whatever for like three of those things, you know, it's just, right. it's kind of, it's kind of crazy though. So, well, uh, what you said, um, so what, what kind of poundage does that end up being and what, what's your arrow weight? Yeah. So I have a, I'm a pretty tall guy and I have a, I have a long draw. I'm a little over a 31 inch draw here. Oh, wow. So yeah. that makes it pretty tough actually for an arrow setup because I can, I can afford to lose about, uh, you know, off while tuning about half an inch of arrow. Three quarters of an inch of arrow at most. Yeah, yeah. full length arrow. Um, but uh, this bow here is fifty at twenty eight. So okay. you know somewhere in the range of fifty five pounds. Um, I do have another bow in the, the making here uh, through a different border to try out that I had shot uh, when I went to Kalamazoo last winter um, and shot it really well and just trying some different things out and that's. Uh, that's on order for 51 pounds at 31 inch draw. And, and which, but which bow was that you said? Uh, this is going to be a centaur. Oh, centaur. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got, are, uh, uh, the Cole Hoffer centaurs when I was in Kalamazoo and, um, I really liked the way that shot and fit my hand. So I ordered one of those and we're going to try that out as well. Um, and if that becomes the, you know, we'll see, I have no qualms about the, not the homemade either so that might be my you know as an all wood bow and this is going to be more of a carbon fiber bow mm-hmm. um, that might be my dedicated um, wood arrow shooter so have you gone down the wood arrow path yeah i mean that's what i started on oh you did uh, okay i didn't i didn't know anything different you know when when i when i started getting into it you know the what i knew of was as the resources um you know you had you had trad gang on the internet um and then the only, you know, archery dealership I kind of knew of was Three Rivers. Um, mm. You know, I, I think the first, I made my first probably three or four dozen to Cedar Arrows, very basic. And then I'd, I used to order those, you know, just a tread bar to edition Cedar Arrows from Three Rivers. And yeah. I, I ran with those and uh, I had uh, Wenzel Woodsman Broadheads and some Magnuses for a while. So no, I I like wood arrows and um I have a bunch here that I got from a local archery supplier that kind of went out of business with a bunch of Zwickies on them that I I enjoy to shoot as well. Yeah, I've never done the uh, the wood arrow thing. It uh, right now I know that if I went down that path I would I would dive way deep in just because that's what I do of like of tuning and trying different things and that kind of stuff and it's just a whole different world that that I, I know very, very little about, like the different, what the different types of woods are, which one's more dense, which one is straighter, which one holds up better, which one, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I just don't have the time to devote, because I know if I open up that can of worms, I will be headlong into that, you know what I mean? But I think, you know, down the road someday, I think, you know, woodies will be in my future, just, uh, I just haven't had a chance to to, to mess with them, uh, mess with them just yet. So yeah, um, I think make it, make, making them, uh, I'm kind of a utilitarian guy. Um, yeah. I like simple things that work well. Um, I don't need a lot of flare or flash. Um, but I couldn't, I'd have a harder time shooting some, you know, I, I love seeing those beautiful custom made, um, cedar arrows, um, with awesome fletchings and, but you know, I was just making very simple utilitarian, you know, cedar arrows at the time, and um, you know, wood arrows break, and it uh, 
it wasn't quite a setback or a heartbreak. Um, just with a with a simple, you know, most of them were in stain. They just had a clear, you know, clear coat on them. Mm-hmm. Some basic fletchings, and you know, just uh, part of shooting, breaking arrows. Got it. Um, okay, so heading into uh, heading into hunting season here, we're about well. By the time this airs, we're probably going to be like a week or two from hunting season because uh, it'll yeah it'll, it'll be several weeks before this 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 broadcast. Right now, we're like in the middle of of August, so. Um, what what are what do you have any plans this year to to kind of travel anywhere or do you have any uh, particular I don't know do you have any particular deer that you're kind of uh, you know been watching or anything like that like what what are your plans heading in? Yeah, I'm I'm hoping to to make a trip to North Dakota, um, kind of in the planning here, um, which opens up I think September fourth, but we'll we'll try to make a date um, to get over there for a few days and just see some new country. Um, it's more or less just to have a little bit of adventure and just to get the, you know, get the anxiety out a little bit. You know, I seem to roll into, you're putting work in every single day throughout the year in the off season. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're ready for this moment. And it's like going to a football game and you have so much pent up anxiety. Um, but once you, you know, the ball snaps and you start playing, it's so much, you feel so much better. Um, so to get those little, uh, you know, the shakes off, mm-hmm. um, and to get some, you know, I'm practicing using my gear um, most nights here while I shoot, but um, get a few hunts under your belt before you you roll into your you know your main hunting season is kind of the plan for that. So we'll try to make it out just for whitetails in North Dakota. Um, Scout some new areas out. We haven't been there before too much, but um, I'm not focusing on any you know any bucks or specific deer. But I've been putting a lot of time into scouting some some neat areas that are just you know away from pressure. Um, most of my hunting is on public land as well, but just away from pressure. Um, but you know, finding it, you know individual buck beds and how to set up on those. Yeah. Um, how how far do you have to go for you to? I mean, are you pretty local to where you hunt, or is it, is it kind of like a, a bit of a drive for you? Uh, I do a bit of both. Okay, so, uh, so you can you can get out when you need to relatively quickly. Then right, it's not like oh man, I got to plan a whole you know, like three hour drive or two hour, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't need to go far at all if I don't want to. Um, but I, you know, I have definitely places that are an hour or two away that I really enjoy going to. Um, mm-hmm. I also have, you know, we're blessed with a lot of public land in this area as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and me too here. That, that's the thing. I mean, I'm in, like I said, I'm in the Southwest, Southwest Metro here. And I mean, literally from work right here i'm like five i mean in six minutes i can be boots on the ground in an archery only area over here that that i hunt a lot and you know there's there's another like one two three i mean within like 15 minutes drive i probably have like four or five different places um that i that i can go hunt and that's you know that's great it's great in the fact that it's it's there but it's also it also gets gets pounded a lot you know um so there's really no such thing for me is uh you know go in so deep that you're gonna avoid everybody because i've gone in like i don't know mile and a half two miles not i mean two miles let's say mile and three quarter minimum you know i've gone in and you know you go somewhere you pick out a tree and you pick out a spot and you're like oh man that looks great and you walk up to it and sure enough there's like already like like tree steps you know someone's left in screwing steps in there or there's evidence that someone's hunted that thing because there's marks on the tree from from a climber or whatnot you know so i got to be pretty strategic with with where i go and kind of use that try to use that other pressure um 
but at least it's available for me to go you know at the very least i go bow hiking you know <laughs> so no absolutely and it's not all about it's yeah. not all about how far you go and some public land is phenomenal that's you know only 30 acres uh, but you know i'm looking for a lot of overlooked spots and you know spots where maybe it's a large piece of public that brings in a lot of other hunters but you're just using that pressure to your advantage or trying to at least is the plan yeah and i'm gonna try and do that um i'm gonna try and do that a little bit better this year i'm gonna try and not i'm gonna uh, maybe not everyone says think outside the box but you know access the same places i go to but access them from a different way and not just down you know the regular like walking trail path because because it's tough to describe but you know how it is like you got a path going in someplace but like trying to get in where you want to go but avoiding like the common paths i mean you're either in a swamp or you're in like marsh or you're in whatever and it and it, and it makes it hard to do but i'm going to try and come up with some creative ways to, to get places a different way so that they're not like oh yeah it's it's emra again you know walking skipping along with his bow in yeah. his hand you know thinking <laughs> i think that's the key to put you know yeah. deer in front of you on public land yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've been going an hour here. And um, is there anything else that we missed? Anything else you know you want to talk about? Well, um, no, nothing major. If we get into the saddle game, it's going to be another hour. But that's something I'm going to be utilizing uh, this year for the first time. Um, you know, I, I've been hanging kind of, you know, mobile hunting in the past with, with lightweight hang-ons and I've, you know, hang-on stands and I've kind of got a system down. But now I getting into the, the saddle game this year and going to try that out and I can see a lot of benefits from that. But I just ordered, um, a repelling swat. Well, I don't want to say setup, but I mean, I ordered enough rope to, cause I, cause I do the one stick now oh. and, uh, I, I just ordered enough, uh, Oplux rope and like a figure eight, you know, dealy. And, uh, I've been practicing it's, it's on its way, but I've been practicing with another, uh, um, uh, it's not a belay device. It's a repel device, just like a black diamond ATC. And I've been practicing in my basement, you know, like doing all the knots and everything like that. And then quote unquote, repelling down like a whole, like two feet, you know, yeah. but, but still working like, like the, the friction hitch and all that stuff, making sure I'm not going to like plummet to the ground kind of thing. So the rest of that rope and, and, and some other stuff should be here, uh, in, in a few days. Cause, um, I've been doing the, the one stick method and it's great going up, but it is a pain coming down. I mean, it's a pain going up or down. That's the price you pay for being light, you know, and, and, and minimalist. But um, I really want to try that re- re- repelling thing. It's a couple more. It's a couple more things. It's a couple more carabiners, a couple more knots, you know. Um, and I just got downtown telling somebody, I can't remember who it was. Maybe maybe it was Schaefer Magnin, I think, where we were talking. Um, I said, yeah, you know, when you get into the saddle thing, it, you, you're sold. People are trying to sell you how simple it is and it's, it's you know, minimalist and blah, blah, blah. But you can get into this and and start accumulating, like, more ropes, more carabiners. It's just it's just more of different stuff. You know what I mean? And, and it, all of a sudden, you're like, wait a minute. I've got all this, like, shit hanging off of me. And this, <laughs> this is supposed to be more, you know, less simple way to do it but i definitely want to try the repelling thing so that's you know good luck to you on your rabbit hole if you have any questions definitely give me a call if you have any questions about any of that stuff because i'm like i'm literally a whole like one year into this so obviously i'm an expert <laughs> so <laughs> okay. no, you're here you know you do have a lot of good videos on touching on different uh, and, and methods um, yeah. yeah definitely i've checked out um on your youtube channel there but you know for me it's just you know i had I've looked at, you know, three, four guys online that 
I can kind of relate with just as a, you know, as a person. Um, so it's easy to listen to and understand, um, but also kind of pick, you know, one thing or two things off each person and how they do things um, and how I can honestly tell myself that this is going to be, um, you know, kind of back to the utilitarian, um, as simple as I can possibly make for the kind of the highest result. Um, yeah. For yeah. So that's kind of my mindset going into it. Um, I just want to, you know, try and, and keep it as simple as they say it is. Um, I have a pretty good setup right now that I've been practicing with most nights here and looking forward to uh, utilizing that in the field this year. Cool, man. Good luck to you, man. I, uh, you know, like I said, it, you, it, 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 the bug catches you and it's just one more thing to just kind of totally like geek out about and, and gear out, you know, and, and, you know, try different things. And yeah, I, I, that, that's, I think that's part of what doing some of this is, is that, that I really like is you get down a rabbit hole and you're like, okay, just like you said, there's some people do this, some people do that. And you take a little bit from this person, a little bit from this person, you come up with your own process and then you try it and you're like, Oh, nope, I didn't like this. I didn't like that. So you kind of tweak your setup and you know, I, I just, I just love doing all that stuff. I think it's, I think it's just as much fun as actually, you know, putting, putting an arrow through something. So, all right. Anyway, um, we're over an hour and I, I don't want to cut you off, but, uh, then we can wrap it up here. So is there, um, uh, and you don't have to if you don't want to because of your job. But is there any social that you want to that you want to um, uh, put out there, or even if it's like DNR sites or anything like that, where people might find uh, some some value? No, I don't have anything uh, super social to share. Um, but uh, I just really encourage. I just want to kind of put it out here to um, you know utilize wherever you are, whether you're in Minnesota or out of Minnesota here to. Um, utilize the DNR as a as a you know resource, whether it is a conservation officer um, or just you know regular DNR staff or biologist. I mean, they're they're out in the field every day, and and they're definitely can be uh, whether it's questions on the laws or questions on an area, and whether you know what kind of impacts that see via you know people or predators or human. Um, it's definitely a resource you should act and just uh, you know if be prepared to be checked in the field by a game warden and just know that uh you know if you're just open and honest about things it's going to be a you know i'll be open you know we'll be open on us back with you yeah cool yeah. Well, all right nate listen uh stay on the line with me here while i wrap up this uh so everybody thank you for listening i hope you got some value out of this uh remember make sure you go check out uh, the boning soul youtube channel um constantly putting stuff up there and uh you know definitely since we just we were just recently talking about the saddle stuff i'm putting out some videos about you know different kind of knots that you might be uh if you're new to it some some you know knot tying and that kind of stuff that, that might be useful to you um some other gear reviews that kind of stuff some shooting and and what have you so and uh instagram also uh bow hunting soul so thanks for listening and i will talk to you guys next time thank you